As we dive further into 2020, the Lollygaggers podcast wants to remind you that despite the new decade not technically starting until 2021, no one likes a math geek, especially Justin. In this episode, Jeff chooses his own adventure in a new game series from Cosmos, while Justin gets shot in the head while trying to escape from Tarkov. Both Lollygaggers then discuss everyone's television obsession from last month, HBO's Watchmen. Welcome to episode number 77 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics, games, movies, TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, my friend? It's going all right. It's going all right. Some big uh, gaming news stuff on the horizon, I see, with one of our, I mean, not favorite companies, but favorite games with, with, with League and stuff. Yeah, no, I've really gotten back into it a lot lately, too. I've it's, seen this. This is weird. Yeah. yeah, it's so strange. I'm so used it's to it. It's like a three-year break. Yeah, I mean, it's the game I like the most, and then you guys start playing all those other games, and then every time I come into Discord channel, uh, I can never talk to anyone because everyone's too busy doing Destiny or this or that, and now suddenly you're <laughs> freaking playing League again. It's like a, no one ever messages yeah. me to come play, but whatever. That's cool. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not I'm not upset about it. Me and Keith, best duo bot lane NA. I'll tell you that right I now. I think so. So we're talking about League of Legends. Solid. Yeah, we're talking about League of Legends, which just uh, released some more info. A couple of months back, uh, League or in Riot Games, they announced a whole bunch of new games that they're going to start making here and there. But they just came out with some new news. Justin's kind of stoked about. I'm actually kind of stoked about one little bit is that they have, they have Riot Tabletop. Did you see that? I have not seen that. Okay, at all. so no. one of the things they just talked about, I think it was yesterday, it was like the, the 14th or the 13th of January or something like that, is that they are creating a whole subdivision within a company called Riot, Riot, Riot Tabletop with the intention of making, you know, actual physical tabletop products. Uh, Riot did come out uh, back in, I want to say 2016, 2015, something like that. They came out with Mechs versus Minions, which is a, a, a very big and amazingly produced uh, programming cooperative game. Uh, but now they're coming out with another one that's supposed to be a competitive bluffing game. There's really not a whole lot known about it, but it sounds to be a little bit more of a smaller game, one to four or two to four players. And there's going to be some bluffing aspects here and there. So once more details come out, definitely we'll talk about it. But there's not a whole lot out yet. But just the sheer fact that they're going back to developing a tabletop game has me excited because I think their first uh, their first attempt at it actually went really well. So what what's got you excited? So there's a couple things. Uh, Legends of Runeterra, there's an open beta coming January 24th. I know. That's super exciting, and I really want to get into that game because I love magic. Uh, I never really got into Hearthstone, but I like magic. So it's going to be fun getting that. There's character redesigns for Fiddlesticks and Volibear. Yeah. Um, I'm not so much Fiddlesticks, but I love me some Volibear. Um, and like the way they've talked about it, like Fiddlesticks is going to be like super horror-based, which is really neat. Um, and Volibear is going to be very... Um, like with the wild and and like kind of they thought about doing like eldritch horror, but like they're gonna steer away from that. But it's gonna be his first skin that he gets, so I'm excited about that because this so skin's kind of stink. How are they gonna actually fit a bunch of cleavage on these two models? Though that's the one thing. Well, Volibear has always had a huge set of boobs, which I'm super excited about to see more of. Um, yeah, I get that's one of the things that's sort of fresh. I mean, I like the game of League, but then there's a lot of characters that really I feel awkward playing or or having to see because misfortune. Of, yeah, is the I mean, worst. they just leverage it a little too much for me. And, uh, but whatever, that's cool. I mean, but Volibear and Fiddlesticks are definitely not one of them. Fiddlesticks is a giant stick, a scarecrow, and he's 
he's been pretty poor lately. Like he hasn't been particularly strong in a while. Volibear, yeah, they're doing a full rework, which is yeah. so super exciting. Volibear has popped up every now and now and then as like a niche, like really specialized pick when certain items get strong. But uh, but yeah, overall he's not. He's always had a weird, not sure where he's gonna go type of phase. Is he jungler? Is he top lane? You know, I've seen people mess around with him in in support role as well. So that'll be cool. That'll be cool. But it's just super fun because they're doing a lot of stuff this year in particular to try to really develop the game a lot because they have a lot of stuff coming out for the entire Riot team and all the stuff they're doing. So I'm just excited about it. Plus, you know, I, I t- took like a three-year break from the game and came back to it. And it's I've learned to kind of just get rid of the... Because it's one of the most toxic communities on the planet. Just mute I've learned how to dude. really just... That's what I yeah. do. I just, the magic of mute yeah. is great. I so learned that. Pat, it's made it Pat, our friend Pat told me to do that. He's like, yeah, I just, I just mute everything. And so I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. So... I just mute the enemy team and I tend to only play like regular games when I have friends playing. Otherwise I just play ARAM and it's ARAM's usually low, you know, much more low, low stress. And we just kind of goof around and have fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it always sucks. I mean, gaming communities so frequently have just, I don't know. They just, I don't know why people get so upset about stuff. It's just a game. Who cares? You know, everyone thinks they're the best. That's what it comes down to. I mean, but, I'm yes. pretty good. So, I mean, yeah, you're invited to a pro hot team. Okay. Anyways, uh, so, uh, that's all I really kind of want to say about that, but it's, it's, I'm really excited about all that stuff coming out. So, all right. So in addition to that, in addition to kind of getting excited about that, I've actually been playing something else that you and I are also familiar with, but it's a, it's kind of a new spin or new take on it. So you've played some exit games, right? So Melissa and I, my wife, yeah, we've been playing some board yeah. games. So exit games, if you're unfamiliar with them, they're made by Cosmos. Uh, they are like a little escape room in a box, basically. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that because I think that's a different line, but they are escape room and it's in a tiny little, uh, tiny little box. And the exit games are particularly fascinating because they're a one shot deal. You play them once and you throw everything away because often to solve the puzzles in that little cosmos box, you have to tear things up, cut things up, etc. Uh, they are starting a new line of games and they just started it last year and I finally got one. That's kind of like a spinoff of the exit games and it's called adventure games. And specifically my wife and I, uh, we just played over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we played Cosmos's adventure game, The Dungeon. Uh, there are a couple others. There's the, there's Monochrome Inc., which is another one they have out currently. And then pretty soon, The Volcanic Island, uh, the English release, is upcoming like literally any day now in January, I believe. Uh, they're just sort of waiting for that to come in. Uh, now, these adventure games are designed by Matthew Dunstan, who also did some of the other exit games. He's also done things like Elysium and Professor Evil and the Citadel of Time. It's also got Phil Walker Harding, who's done Baron Park and Cacao and Sushi Go. Uh, it's got art by Martin Hoffman, uh, who's done a lot of art for like the Minion and Roll for the Galaxy and stuff like that. So like there's a definitely strong team behind the production of this game. And Cosmos itself, as a, as a publisher, has put out tons of tons of really great games. Uh, much like the exit games, these are cooperative games. Uh, so the adventure game series, and it's, uh, it's also for one to four players, but whereas the exit games stressed the idea of difficult puzzles with a time pressure to them, like you have to solve these pres- uh, these puzzles with this ticking clock moving down on you, the adventure games don't have such stresses. So meaning you don't have to worry about the ticking clock uh, and the puzzles themselves are much lighter. This is more of a story-based game, very much a choose-your-own-adventure. So if you've ever played a choose-your-own-adventure game, this is definitely what you have. Uh, the game promises about 75 minutes per chapter, uh, and it takes, I think there's three chapters in the original game, and that's about right. Uh, I think when my wife and I played, it took us about 
four hours or just short of four hours or so to actually play the entirety of the game. And I think we might have even taken a break at some point in between. Uh, but you never have to worry about that ticking clock, which is, which is so, which makes this game a little bit more casual. Like oh, casual is the wrong word because that sometimes has like a, the wrong connotation. But it's definitely a game that that you can play at a more, a more it's less stressful, pace. I guess. Less uh, stressful. No, for sure, because like you're really just trying to explore and learn the story, as opposed to like, oh my gosh, we have to escape, or else this, you know, this this submarine's going to kill us or something like that. Uh, so. The basic story of the dungeon is that we are in a medieval or Middle Ages type world. Uh, there are four specific characters of which you don't have the names of initially. Uh, we basically played two apiece and you wake up in a prison cell without any recollection of how you got there. So it's like an amnesic start, right? And as the game progresses and as the characters work their way out of that cell and into the rest of this keep that the dungeon is part of, you start to learn more about the story. You learn more about the villains. You learn more about the characters themselves, about even little tidbits about the larger world. And you figure out, okay, why were they in this cell? What led them to get there? Who are the major factions at play? Where's the danger? Because there is danger. And the cool thing is that there is multiple endings. So there are multiple endings to these games. Uh, I think there's like three or four maybe. And it allows for some semblance of replay. Like there's replay value to this, which is pretty cool. Now, the basic mechanisms of the game uh, is that you have a bunch of different decks of cards and the different rooms of the keep, uh, beginning with your prison cell room, are laid out on the table one card at a time as you discover new locations because you only have like one or two at the start. And then as you go through new doors, find new keys, etc., you start to pull from a deck. The game directs you via a app and via a storybook on how to continue to explore. Now, on the image of... Uh, of the card, there's the room itself, and there are various details that are numbered, a lot like an exit game and like unlock games, stuff like that. And these numbers correspond to passages in a storybook, and that comes with the game. And I think the app also can read it for you if you want it to. Uh, you pick a number and you read the associated entry, uh, just like you would any other trying to choose your own adventure book, or if you've pay played something like Above and Below, or if you've played uh, something like uh, like Agents of Smirch or something like that. It's kind of similar to that. And sometimes these entries reveal items that you can collect. This is a separate deck that's hidden and secret and you pull from from time to time. And other times these uh, these entries pose like a specific choice to the player or the party as a whole. And once that choice is made, it kind of directs you to turn to a different page in the story to see how it resolves. Uh, and sometimes that actually cascades too. So like you make one choice and it says turn to this page. And then if you make another choice there, it says turn to this page and it becomes this interesting little mini story. And then, of course, some of the uh, some of the other times when you when you look up a number and you go to that page, it also can be a very unwelcome surprise. Uh, you can take damage, things can attack you, etc. Uh, so on, on, a, on a basic round, every character gets a turn and on that turn, they can move anywhere they want. They can move on to any card that they have revealed. So any room doesn't matter. There's no like movement limitations like that. And then they get to interact with one specific number. So they get to choose something and they do that. You can also do things like trade items and stuff as well. Uh, and so it's pretty fun. Now, there's a couple cool twists to how this game is played, because not only can you interact with any one specific object, uh, one of the cool things is that you can actually combine things. So every item that you collect as its own separate card has a number. All these other locations that are on the room cards also have numbers. And so you have the ability to combine those numbers together to maybe find a new entry in the storybook. This could be something as simple as a key you have having one number 
And then a door on the room card uh, has a different number, and you combine those numbers together to unlock the door. It could be that simple. It could be something a little bit more complicated. Say a hammer you might have in your inventory has like the number 12, and then you're looking at one of the room cards and it has the number 372. Well, you combine those numbers together. Now you don't add them, you just literally combine them. So 12 and 372 turns into 12,372. And you look up that number and you realize, oh, so I took the hammer and I pried back on the wooden boards and I discovered something underneath the floor. Uh, so that kind of cool stuff starts to happen. There's even like a mini little crafting thing a few times where you combine two objects that might seem somewhat interdependent of one another. And then you combine them together and you create something else that's kind of cool too. So it's really fun combining things and trying to be creative. And even using some of those combining mechanisms to have like these light puzzles, which is pretty fun. Now the puzzles themselves, again, they're not super crazy complex like the exit games can sometimes be. These are these are a little lighter and it doesn't take forever to figure them out. Sometimes you come across a, a problem that you can't quite fix or figure out yet. And it's usually because you haven't found the thing that you need to solve it, right? So you kind of weave back and forth throughout the dungeon from time to time, re-exploring certain areas with greater context as you explore new places. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty. I, I really find that actually quite fun. Uh, there's a couple other cool twists. Uh, sometimes when you're exploring and investigating, the specific character actually matters, like who discovers it or who turns to the page in the storybook matters. Uh, so sometimes a storybook might direct you to turn to one page if, if char let's call it just character A, because uh, I don't want to reveal names and stuff because it's a little spoiler uh, for the story. So let's say character A, uh, might you might turn to this page if you decide to do it with them. Or if you do it with a different character, you turn to a different page. And so that has a slight variation to the experience, and it kind of, again, adds to some element of replay value in a way that you don't get with the exit games, right? This allows or encourages some level of replay. Uh, so I really like that. Now, I do have like two tiny gripes with this. One of them is that I wish the characters themselves were more differentiated because right now, like in the very beginning, like they don't really have stats or stuff like that. So when I think of like a role-playing game, which is this, this isn't really a role-playing game. This is more, you know, choose your own adventure and like light if you want to role-play, but you know, I'm a role-player. So I like the, the notion of finding a way to let these characters do something different. And they, they're really not. The only times that that they get differentiated is in the storybook when you happen when you get asked a question like, "Well, who is completing this task?" And that only happens a handful of times. Uh, and when it does, it's pretty awesome because you get to learn a little bit about each individual character. So I wish some of those characters themselves they could find a way to allow for maybe like a special ability or a special task or a special twist to them. Uh, but again, small little tiny gripe. Uh, my other gripe is that there were a few moments in the game where I think the there was there was like kind of an overstep presumption about what my decision was. What I mean by that is if if you're forced to make a choice between two or three different things and you choose, you know, option three, sometimes it's not sometimes the game when you go to the resolution paragraph, it creates this little narrative to describe the resolution, but what happens in that description isn't really consistent with what your choice actually was. And so it almost seems like the game is railroading what the character is doing, even though that's not really what the choice made it seem like I was going to do. Uh, there was one specific moment with my wife's character where she decided to take a specific decision and all of a sudden she's throwing a knife. And we're like, where the hell did that come from? That wasn't at all 
kind of indicate it as a possibility in the choice. But again, that happens like maybe two or three times. I can think of two or three times where I felt like they overstep. And since you're reading dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of passages throughout the course of four hours, the fact that it only happens like two or three times is really not particularly egregious at all. So it's really not big of a thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is an adventure game. This is the dungeon. It's really fun. It's got a cool little story and it does actually have a story and there is, uh, there are multiple endings. And so there is some replay value. Uh, and I definitely think that even though you know the overarching major story and the reasons and the villain, the villains are doing the things they're doing, how the story plays out differently is definitely something that's worthwhile and playing it a second time. It's kind of like playing a video game that you've already played once and you know how it ends, but you kind of want to go through it a second or third time to see the little nooks and crannies. Maybe you didn't explore the first time or they make some choices differently than you did the first time. Uh, so the adventure game, adventure game series, uh, dungeon, the dungeon is the first one. It's by Cosmos, same people who did exit. Uh, just as good as the exit game, highly recommended, really fun, especially for people who don't want to commit to like really big bulky board games and they just want something light and something that's a little bit easier to fit on a shelf. So really good game. So speaking of escapes, I myself have been doing some escapes as well. And by escapes, I mean uh, getting shot in the head by my teammates because uh, Blake's a jerk. Uh, So lately we got into, it's a widely popular game right now, Escape from Tarkov. Um, we've been playing a lot of it. It's brought to you, it's brought by uh, Battlestate Games, which is out of the I believe the Ukraine. Um, so could I've be going to mob money. I've Who knows? Heard that the Ukraine is weak. That's uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this could be uh, Russian mob money. Who knows? They make a pretty okay game though. So you know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the game I first thought what it was is just you go in. It's like a PUBG type of game, you kill some people and then you try and win. It is not that at all. It might be one of the most complicated games I've ever played in my entire life, and it's extremely aggravating. So, basically, the idea is you can either play as a PMC or a scav. A PMC is your main character, it's a player main character. And with this character, you can build them over time, uh, earn money, get items, uh, different bags, uh, guns, and stuff to kind of build your character. And you go on these raids, and these raids are basically in, I believe, seven different maps. So there's Customs Factory, Interchange Shoreline, Reserve, Woods, and the Lab. So they get unlocked over time, and each one of them have their own size and their own like specialty to it. Um, like Interchange is a big mall, basically, and it's a really popular one. Customs is like, I guess the best way to describe Customs is kind of like um, lots of warehouses outside area and then you have woods which is literally just the woods and then there's one the factory which is just a factory it's all very close quarters tight corners and stuff like that so there's four main ways to do this there's story mode there's open world there's arena mode and premium mode arena mode is more like it's more like a PUBG. story mode is uh kind of it's building your own stuff for your character and then um you have offline which is like you can just kind of practice and learn the maps and stuff like that so, as a player-made character, you go out there, you try and find items, and then you try and bring them back without dying. Now, you think that that would be very easy to do. Uh, each map has a different set of time as to when you have to get out of it, whether it's like 45 minutes or an hour. And then you can only escape from certain areas, so you have to go to specific extraction points. The best way I can describe this is like the hunt. Um, and the hunt is one of these games where there's like small objectives inside of it, there's other people there trying to achieve those objectives 
and you're trying to survive and also, you know, maybe kill them to get some of their stuff. But this is 100% survival and trying to get out with as much of your stuff as possible. Wouldn't seem that hard. However, the game is extremely intricate. You can build guns. How do you build guns? That's a great question, Jeffrey. I still don't know how to do it. Um, you also have to like pull clips out and put like uh, certain ammos in certain clips because only certain clips hold certain ammo types. It's the most intricate and thorough game I've ever played, which is somewhat interesting. However, it is extremely frustrating because I'm what you call a dumb, dumb idiot head. And it it's a very steep learning curve for this game. I like prefer the phrase. The phrase I've been working on is big, dumb idiot. That's what I... Yeah, there you go. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there, it's, it's a very fun and very intricate game. You can level up the vendors you work for to get better items. There's all these different things you can do. There's in-a-zone bosses you can go after that are very difficult. Not just people that are in the area that are PvP. There's PvE aspects. There's certain things everywhere that you can do. Secret hideouts, different stuff. There's so much stuff going on. There's quests that these different retailers, like these, uh, these contacts give you, so you can go kind of up your own personal level and stuff like that. You have a hideout that you can up, and it like, improves your character's depth. There's so many things you can do. If you get shot, you have to uh, bandage it up. You could have a broken arm, so then you have to get a splint for it. So only certain things you know, solve certain problems. If you heal up, you could bleed out still. That's happened to me multiple times. There's no markers above your partner's heads. So say Blake sees you looting a body. He thinks you're also a bad guy. He'll shoot you in the back of the head, and then your friends killed you. So there's stuff like that, uh, which makes it a little exciting, I guess. Um, it's, a, it's a fun game. But the learning curve is so high and so complicated. You have to go find items, bring them back, sell them to your vendors to get enough money to buy more items to improve your character. And then what I think is the real game is you have certain people who have been playing this game for like a year and a half or two years. And I would assume that the way I kind of look at it is you're a pleb in this little world and there's these big monstrous bad guys walking around and your job is to try and avoid them and not get killed while you try and do these little things. That's the way I kind of do it. Because every map has like two or three guys that have maxed out level and are studs in this game. And you're just kind of like trying your best to survive in the most meek way. So it's like avoid them, try and do a few things and get out. So it's a fun game. It's fun with friends to do. When it's dark outside, it is legitimately dark. You can't see a damn thing. You need like goggles and stuff. But like, like I said, the learning curve is insane. I've played so much and died so much i think i'm in the negative when it comes to the items i have and what i start off with but like there's still a level of fun to it because you're really just trying to get a little bit better and improve the way you do things and and it's kind of fun and then there's a scav mode that uh, a free character pops up every hour or so because when your character dies he gets injured and you can't go back out for a little bit unless you heal him back up so if you want to take a break with him and he can kind of like heal over time you take a little scav out, they have some items, and you escape with the scav, then you get all the, the scav's items. So they're like preset with certain guns and certain bags and stuff, so it makes it a bit easier for you. So, anyways, that's Escape from Tarkov. It's from Battlestate Games. It's really fun. It's super popular right now, but it's so difficult, and I feel so dumb every time I play it. So there's some, some positives to that, I guess. So, nice. anyways, 
All right. So try it today. Speaking of making Justin feel dumb, uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about a TV show uh, that was really popular about a month ago. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Wait. It's the TV. Breakdown. All right, so we're going to focus on Watchmen from Damon Lindelhoff uh, in HBO. If you don't know Damon Lindelhoff, then we're not friends because uh, he has created some of the greatest television ever. Uh, that includes Lost, uh, which is probably my number two favorite show of all time. Leftovers, The Leftovers, also on HBO, which is my number one favorite TV show of all time. And then Nash Bridges, uh, which is relevant because Wait a minute. Don Johnson's in Watchmen. So it's relevant here. Uh, well, he had to do with Do- the Don back in the day. Yeah, he wrote some episodes for Nash Bridges yeah. uh, in a uh, good old uh, good old Don Johnson. Uh, so anyway, Watchmen created by Damon Lindelof uh, for HBO. It's it's a continuation of the comic, more or less, by Alan Moore. Uh, the events of Zack Snyder's film aren't that's not the continuation. So if you've seen Zack Snyder's film, you know how that ends. That is not what's being picked up on in the television show. It is more a continuation of the comics. So this stars Regina King, who was also in season two, mostly of The Leftovers. She stars as Angela Abar, uh, Jean Smart, who's awesome, uh, 24 alum. Uh, she is FBI agent Lori Blake. There's Jeremy Irons as Adrian Vite and Tim Blake Nelson, who I loved uh, as, a, as Wade Tillman. So the basic non-spoilery summary of Watchmen, and it's very difficult to talk too much about Watchmen without being super spoilery, but... It's set in 2019, 32 years after the events in Moore's comic. Those are events, and I'm spoiling the comic, but you've had a long time. Events that saw the the city of New York largely destroyed by a psychic alien squid monster that Vite conjured to unite humanity and end the Cold War, essentially. And while 32, 32 years later, America's and the world's propensities for like war seems to have been somewhat quelled by uh, Adrian Vite's action which still remain mostly secret, humanity is anything but unified. And the series is set in Tulsa and involves a lot of historical elements, including the massacre in Tulsa from way, way ago, almost 100 years ago. Uh, it's set in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the 7th Cavalry, uh, which is a white supremacist group, uh, has escalated their domestic terrorist playbook and has begun an assault against the Tulsa Police Department, of which Regina King's Angela Abar slash Sister Knight is a masked member, and she serves beneath her friend Judd Crawford, uh, who is played by Nash Bridges slash Don Johnson. Uh, when some of their own are murdered, I won't sp- specifically say whom, uh, but they're murdered presumably by the 7th Calvary. Sister Knight begins an investigation into the motives and their end goal, and it reveals a way more complicated conspiracy that threatens more than just Tulsa and its police department. So, again, non-spoilery summary, but... Uh, how spoilery do we want to make this discussion, Justin? I feel like it's really difficult not to just like let it all hang out. Um, I just think we do it. Let's just do Let's it. So, so don't it's nearly listen. impossible. Yeah, it's don't listen any the further. First episode. We're just gonna talk about Watchmen. So, if you watched it and you want to talk, uh, you want to hear what we have to say about it. Cool. If not, you know, screw you. But anyway, uh, what'd you think, man? I enli- I enjoyed it very, very much. Um, I was enthralled from week to week. Um, I am. A huge fan of the comic and the Zack Snyder version. A lot of people don't like the Zack Snyder version. I like it. Uh, I yeah, I agree a, too. I agree. I like them both. Uh, and I know like a know. big thing is like the squid monster. People kind of get hung up. I'm like, who cares? Like it's so it's, a, it's weird because up until the television show, I actually kind of like the way that the that Snyder adjusted the end. I thought it was more 
I like the continuity of it. I thought it actually was more character driven how at the end of Snyder's movie, it wasn't the squid monster that was the big bad that was uniting everybody uh, in the world. It was actually Dr. Manhattan himself. Right. And so like Vite kind of turned on them. I thought that was actually really clever, but watching the television show now, I'm like, no, 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 no. I like the squid monster stuff now. So squid monster's way to go. Uh, but like I, so me being close to the subject matter, cause I really do enjoy the originals. I, I very, very much enjoyed this TV show. I thought Regina King was tremendous oh in this God, TV so show. This. It's ridiculous. Even though she says, she says what the fuck, maybe about 18,000 times, but I think it's so great. Cause every time she says, you're like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a well-timed, it's a well-timed. WTF. Jeremy Irons plays a fantastic Vite, mm-hmm. um, a, a dismantled and destroyed Vite. All the different little twists that are involved as episodes go by are fantastic. Gene Smart plays a great Lori Blake as a woman who's been kind of like, she did it, she understands the bad parts of it, and she doesn't want to see it happen again, yet is also kind of seduced by the idea of her past. I think it's a, a great ensemble tim blake nelson is always great even he is so mirror man. good as way tillman slash mirror man so basically yeah, in great. tulsa in tulsa well what they're doing is that the police wear masks like the regular kind of the regular rank and file officers wear like these yellow masks along with their uniform but then like the detectives are basically they're basically vigilantes they all have their own costumes including angela abar who slash sister knight and uh way tillman slash mirror man so He's he's fantastic. And as you learn about uh, that episode, that's like, I think it was episode five or something like that, maybe six, where it's essentially his backstory. And you learn about why he has what he has on, like why he wears this this uh, reflective tight uh, mask over the top of his head and how he he was in New York at the time. Uh, or or near enough in New Jersey when the squid monster came back in the 80s and how the idea of like this psychic defense system that they've continued people have continued to to try to use over the course of the last 30 years like it's really kind of heartbreaking uh when you see him learn <laughs> that his entire life and the fear that he's felt it's all a lie yeah totally a lie he, he was so good i, I yeah. thought it was fantastic um i also think that yeah abdul mateen did a fantastic job once things were kind of flushed out and we'll get to that in a little bit um but the uh, Don Johnson also fantastic. I think the overall reveals and stuff were great. I thought the visuals were fantastic. The only thing I can say is the karate fighting seemed a little bit out of place with the mood of the entire rest of the show. That's about it. Like when they go to the trailer park and they're trying to confront the Minutemen that might be there. And like, she starts fighting them with like kicks and chops and stuff. I'm like, this really doesn't feel like it belongs here and the rest of the show. That's about it when it comes to me and the show. I don't like think there's right. a lot of that though. Like throughout the course of there's the barely episode, there's really not that much fighting. Like not that many fight sequences. It's not like The Witcher where like, you know, pretty much every episode has it's very much a drama. It's uh, a it's a drama, character based drama. Well I mean the and, and the, the original I'm, Watchmen's like that too. Like if I mean when I'm thinking back to the comic and I'm thinking back to the movie, I would say that those 
while there's action in them and while there's fight sequences, I think those are more investigations. You know, it's more about the mystery and unraveling the conspiracy, which is very much what this Watchmen is too. Like, honestly, you don't even understand, you don't even know what the mystery is in the beginning. You think you do, but then as it continues to unravel, you realize, oh, there's an even bigger freaking mystery here. That, you don't even really yeah. get it to like the last episode. Yeah. Like the last episode, you're finding, like, oh, it all kind of makes sense. It all comes together. Yeah, the last, um, I think the last two, the last two, like it really kind of lays it lays it bare in an interesting way. So keep going. A few of my favorite episodes was the Lou Gossett Jr., which you didn't mention, by the way. The Lou Gossett Jr., he's a wonderful man, uh, episode where she drinks his memory or he eats his memory. She eats his memories and she kind of like, yeah. it kind of goes, I thought that episode was astounding. Mm-hmm. The episode that's based on Dr. Manhattan and how he perceives the world, I thought was great. This nonlinear storytelling. and how, I love I love when they do stuff like that. I just thought, those two episodes in particular were just fantastic. And so like when they kind of just show like these different perspectives of what these people are doing, I thought it was just uh, uh, right. quite, quite great. And I then love, like, like, I love how like so much of the, like talking about nonlinear and stuff like that, like how so much of the story is very much like a collage of these disparate story threads that you don't fully understand the cause and effect and how they connect. Like Adrian Veidt's whole storyline throughout the course of the show like until until you know two thirds through the show, you're like, what the hell is he? What the hell? None of it makes any sense. Like it doesn't make right. any sense. Yeah, what's happening. Like you kind of like think it makes. Okay, it does maybe he's on Mars. It. Yeah, like maybe he's on Mars. Sure doesn't look like Dr. Mars. Yeah, Doctor Manhattan wanted to create life. There's something here with that castle. The kids making it. There's these different things, but like you're really trying to connect these threads, but there's no possible way to do it until the, you know the the big reveal, like. Oh, he was kind of cast out there because he, he, he kind of wanted to be, and it's it's a really, it's a really interesting way they did that character. And it's interesting. And I, it's just they humbled him. Like that was the idea. Like yeah, Vite was such a brilliant mastermind who saved the world. And then part of his ego is that no one, I mean, like he never gets thanked. And President Robert Redford and all the other powers that be don't follow his plan. And despite the fact that he feels like he's the architect of humanity and like he can figure out how to keep humanity from falling back into the, you know, into the dark ages, so to speak, they don't listen to him. And he becomes persona non grata and he's back up in his Antarctic, you know, Antarctic or Antarctica. I'm not sure which, which, uh, he's just like in his little fortress of solitude there. And until late, you know, until, until at certain point, like, 10 years or so, I think I think it was 10 years before the show's main storyline takes place. He's like wisp away to Europa, like a, a freaking moon of, of whatever Jupiter and where, where Dr. Manhattan has really been hiding out. And he has his own little garden of Eden in a way where he's, he's making people and they're people that we learn are from his past. Like Dr. Manhattan was constantly recreating these innocent, innocent people that aren't tainted by, the ways of of earth right and then adrian at a certain point after lending a hand and helping uh and helping dr manhattan forget his memory so that he can be human again right for at least a little while like he gets whisked away and at first he thinks it's a great thing right but then he slowly realizes it's almost like a prison like he's being tortured for those 10 years of having only to deal with these relatively naive and innocent folk and he has to fabricate a life and a villain uh, it was a wacky, crazy storyline, but nonetheless, like a really fascinating one for Jeremy. It was super fun. It was really fun. Like, and he's like a dejected, 
old man that was once the greatest and smartest man in the world. And now he's clinging on to this old costume and he looks ridiculous, even though the costume's still pretty cool. And I think it's really awesome looking when you see it like that. But like the juxtaposition of where he is in his life and where he was, it's just so it's so good. And I thought it was just so well said. And I just love the movie overall. Um, and plus, you can't go without saying, uh, sorry, the show. You can't go without saying there was plenty of blue dick for everybody. So another great part of the show. So and you always class it up. You always class it up. That's what I'm here for. I'm here See, like, for the other thing is we're not even talking about is that like a huge, a huge sub, you know, a huge portion of the show is the, is is basically it's a, it's a race story, right? It's the idea. It's it's exploring racial relations. Absolutely, that Tulsa thing I didn't even know was real, and now I've, okay. I, it's an actual real thing that happened. It's yeah, ridiculous. it makes it even worse now. Right? It makes it even worse to be like, oh wait, that wasn't something they fictionalized, right? Though, so. Through the course of the show, I mean, in the very beginning, very first episode, we are flashed back a hundred years ago to the Tulsa massacre, and periodically throughout the course of the show, we get other historical moments where we're seeing Lewis Gossett Jr.'s character as he evolves, because he's a little boy who escapes the Tulsa massacre, and then you know his family was killed, and then he, we see him as an adult in modern day Tulsa somehow connecting to the death of Don Johnson's character. And like part of the, uh, in, the investigation of Angela Abar is who is this guy? Cause he is taking credit for the murder of Don Johnson, right? Not Don Johnson, but you know, you know, Don Johnson's character. And as she does this investigation is revealed that she's, it's, it's her grandfather, right? It's, it's her grandfather, which is insane. And so there is this, the, the story of the concept of of race, of looking at racial relations, and even though, yes, the U.S. and Russia were no longer pointing nukes at one another, but to say that, like, everything's hunky-dory, to say that we're at all peaceful is absurd. I thought it was really eerie, especially if you look at the what we've seen in our modern-day culture in the U.S., especially over the past several years as we've seen a rise in, like, like kind of white supremacy, and now we're seeing it echoed in this in this fictional piece, like it was really eerie and uncomfortable in all the ways I think it should be. Like it, it's the type of thing that, that makes you uncomfortable when you watch it because you realize that this isn't all that fictionalized, you know, like there, there are subsections of our population that this is very accurately reflecting. I also thought it was really fascinating how, despite the fact that Rorschach obviously isn't in this show because he was killed at the end of Watchmen, uh, he was poofed into out of existence by Dr. Manhattan. Like the his his mask has become a replacement for like the KKK's hood. Like it, it, that's this is what the Seventh Cavalry now wears. They wear those those Rorschach uh, like like kind of sock ski mask things, and that's what they're perpetrating. And they've taken up that emblem of Rorschach, despite the fact that they are radically racist in in doing so. Uh, and then. As the show progresses, it's not just like these these small town, you know, trailer park groups in the middle of Tulsa. The idea of racism is in is in is completely ingrained in the upper echelons of our government. Like, uh, what's his name? I think his name is James Volk, who used to be on Zoo, which is a strange, a completely different story, but wacky and bonkers. But I recognized him, and he's like a senator who might eventually run for president. It sounds like. And he is the leader of this this huge racial, you know, conglomeration. And 
at the end, as there's this, as we're hitting like the major final set pieces, we're seeing all these powerful, rich white folk come in, and uh, because they are members of like Cyclops, Cyclops has been this long running, underneath behind the scenes group for white supremacy, and it's like freaking eerie. Like it's it's the manipulation of like these young impressionable people, and exploiting like their insecurities their anger like their economic downtrodden nature all for their like this benefit and it becomes this disgusting this sort of disgusting story which is is fascinating and the fact that it's echoing the the historical elements and it's in the same place like where the tulsa massacre took down you're, you're seeing certain locations like this theater that was so important to lewis gotchett jr's family when he was younger and that kind of comes back to play in the very end and, and very much the way that Lindelof often does he like he has this tendency to establish locations and objects and themes that are constantly recurring. Uh, it's really, really, really brilliant, actually. And I was it's super interesting to see a major network and a major entertainment provider actually tackle in a in a mean, you know, in a in a serious way some, you know, racial issues, something that we often avoid. And it was really cool. It was really cool to see. Uncomfortable, but cool, you know. What I liked about it too is that it really didn't have much other than Vite and and Mr. Manhattan. It didn't really have much to do with any of the really original Watchmen at all, like Night Owls in jail, uh, uh, Silk Spectres in the show. But it has nothing to do with her being Silk Spectre. Right. Just like she's, the natural she's, evolution. I'm of a normal she FBI is. agent now. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I liked a lot that they didn't sit on the crutch of, hey, let's, where's the owl at? And where's this guy at? And like, what about maybe the comedian will show back up, even though he's been dead for 20 years or whatever. So and like, he's a rapist and a horrible person. So I'd rather yeah. not see him anyway. So like, I, I really like that they kind of made it its own idea with its own stuff. Yes, they kind of use some of the characters, but I think there were natural progressions of what the ideals were before when the the book was out and all that stuff i don't think it was any perversion or or retconning of what happened in the past i think it was a natural evolution of who they were in the past and how it you know, evolved over time and as much as it was like an homage to some degree or at least a you can definitely tell linda hoff and other people who are involved in this are fans of alan moore's work right you, you get that but at the same time there's this like wonderful parallel between the criticism that that Dr. Manhattan faces from some parties within the, the actual story, but also like the fact that the Watchmen as a franchise, like there could have been so much more done with it and nothing was done with it. Right. Because the, the major criticism of Dr. Manhattan is that he has all these powers and yet he's done. He has, he done enough with them. Has he squandered the powers that he has? He could have ended war. He could have ended climate change. He could have made sure that like the air was clean, soil was fertile and all these other things. And all he did was run away to Mars and like play with his toys is, it's kind of the, the, the premise, right? This, that he, he has been given this godly responsibility and he has not done enough with it for the population. And like the, the main, I mean, villain's a weird word, but true, like the, the main villain of the, the true corporation, who's the strange daughter of uh, of Adrian fight uh is is looking to steal his powers like she wants to steal his powers because she thinks she can do it right she can do a better job and then James Volk's racist senator wants to do the same thing thinking that I can take these and take you know I can take these powers and so we, we don't even realize throughout the first half of the story that this this entire show is about Dr. Manhattan right it's not what we think it is 
eventually this all becomes this huge conspiracies because they want to take control. They want to take those godly powers, these different groups, the seventh Calvary slash Cyclops group, True's, uh, True's group, the, the, their, her business. They want to capture Dr. Manhattan. They want to kill him and in doing so absorb his powers and then take them onto themselves so that they can recreate the world in their own image. And when you think about that from like the seventh cavalry slash Cyclops perspective, like you, you understand exactly what that is. That is a white first. That is a white supremacist vision of the world. And when you think about it from True's perspective, she's like this crazy ideologue who wants to be worshiped, right? She, she needs that idea of credit and worship and worship. And even though Dr. Manhattan, you know, isn't those two things, like he's neither of those bad things, he is nonetheless, there's plenty of criticism you can launch at him. Like even Lewis Gossett Jr.'s character has that wonderful line at the end. It's a kind of a very quiet line, but it burns really hard where he's just like, yeah, well, this is after Dr. Manhattan's been killed. He's like, yeah, he, he didn't actually do enough with him. And you realize this, the whole show is about the transference of Dr. Manhattan, Dr. Manhattan's power to a worthy successor, right? And we see the two, the two unworthy successors, and then finally it ends on this semi cliffhanger, but it's not really a cliffhanger on whether or not Angela did in fact inherit those powers and is the worthy successor, and who can now do something right and righteous with those powers. Really cool and fascinating twist, and I love the way it played out. And it could be like a one season finisher, or it could just you, know, you could have another season after it. I don't know what. Right. And that's a great question because I do think like this, there's what, nine episodes, eight episodes? Can't remember. I think it was nine. There's nine episodes. And one of the things I, I really liked about the show is that it told the story the way it wanted it to tell. And there wasn't filler. Now, I understand that there's people out there who might not like certain episodes, might not like certain pacing. And then there's just haters out there who are like, oh, lazy writing. Well, you're an idiot. So shut up. There's no lazy writing. There's just writing perhaps you didn't like. So I like the fact that when you think about it, it's nine episodes, which is a weird number. It's not 10, which is a common number for like HBO shows. It's not 13. It's the number that it, this story needed to be. And although Lindelhoff has said that he's not like opposed to the notion of writing it again, of like doing more of Watchmen, like he needs the story. And I really like that. Like so often our, our, our TV fiction has been, has been built around this artificial construct of seasons. Like, Oh, we have to have a new season because we have to make more money and we have to have this amount of episodes because that amount of episodes leads to syndication on a predictable schedule or this amount of episodes fits into where we're going to be for May sweeps, right? Like it's got to be 22 episodes. Or it's got to be 13 episodes or 25 episodes, right? I just like the fact that we're breaking away from it and stories are being told and the amount of episodes needed as opposed to this uh, trying to extend and fit. And I think if there's anyone who understands how trying to artificially inflate a show to meet this arbitrary number of episodes, <laughs> it's freaking Damon Lindelhoff, the architect of Lost, right? Because like Lost is amazing, but there's so much like fluff and wasted episodes here and there that opened up Pandora's box in a way that didn't need to be opened because the, sh the show could have been a little bit more, more focused. It's one of the reasons Leftovers is amazing. It's three, it's three seasons and it's focused and it's heartbreaking and it's just amazing television. And I think back, I'm like, man, what if Lost was made today? Not remade. What if Lost was made today for one of these streaming type platforms, whether it's HBO or Netflix or something like that, and the creators actually had control, more, more firm control over how long that story is going to be? Because it took seasons. It took multiple seasons before ABC was willing to set 
like an end date. So I'm just glad that there's a guy who's writing I love is actually getting some kind of creative control over that and is able to tell the story in as long as it needs to be told. And I definitely like the uncompromising nature of don't just come back for a second season just because you're supposed to or just because the money says so. You're coming back when you're ready to come back. If and when you get a story worth telling. I mean, it's been, what, 15 years since the Snyder movie? It's been 30-something years since the comic? Like, we can wait, you know? If if you're going to produce high-quality content, I'll wait five, six, seven, eight, nine years for another Watchmen miniseries, and that's fine with me. So I think we're in agreement. The show's awful. <laughs> yes, uh, awful in that uh, I should have watched it week to week, but I didn't. I watched the first two episodes week to week, but then got caught up in some holiday stuff and other things like that as my semester was ending. And then post-New Year's, I actually, we just went ahead and slammed through it. We also got caught up on The Witcher, and so once we got caught into The Witcher, we finished The Witcher and stuff like that. But honestly, I wish I would have. I wish I would have watched it week to week because... There, there has been no greater television watching experience on a week to week basis. No, no show has ever engrossed me more in a week to week in the zeitgeist of like, you know, of, of, of like our time than, than lost. And so this feels like this could have been sort of the same thing, trying to understand the mysteries, trying to figure out like who's who and what their motivations are. Like, I feel like it would have been a lot more fun. So it's a shame, but it's not a shame that this show is on. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should definitely see it. It is fantastic it is absolutely fantastic admittedly i love the i love his writing so i'm gonna like no matter what he does basically except for nash bridges that show sucks uh okay uh so that's about it for us this week uh if you're interested in uh in kind of getting a hold of us giving us some ideas and other things you want to see us uh review or discuss on the show or if you got ideas of board games you want me to play or comics you want us to read uh, you can catch us online at thelollygaggers.com. You can catch me on Twitter at lollygaggerco and Justin at Justin. If you want to watch Justin play some Escape from Tarkov and some Warcraft and World of Warcraft and some other games, uh, you can go ahead and check his stream at mixer.com slash jahufa. Uh, and on that note, Justin, I suppose, uh, I mean, my question would be, if you were a Tulsa, Oklahoma police officer and you were a detective and you had to develop an alternative persona what would that persona be? What would your costume look like? What would you be called? I don't know. That guy that was like the dispatcher with the panda hat was probably <laughs> so as good. close as it's going to get. Not a major character, man, but just, just a wonderful side. He looked side. great. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, whatever he embodies, that's it. Cause whole, that was just perfect. I thought he looked great. So panda head guy. That's what, that's what I'd be. <laughs> 